Behind the Shades. Jayzilla, hello. How are you doing today, sir? Very well, sir. And yourself? I am well. I'm back from vacation, so I'm a little tired, but I'm I'm rested. I'm good. I can't complain, right? Yeah, you seem like you have that return from vacation glow about you, man. <laughs> I know. I was, I was working on my tan a little bit, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I know today we're going to talk about... Um, a topic that is very close to my heart because I don't have children, but I always want to speak to parents and those who have children, especially men, because I don't think we get enough of insight from men when it comes to children and having that type of conversation. So before we get right into it, Jay Zillow, introduce yourselves, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are and where my guests, my audience can find you. Absolutely. So my name, okay, my government name, as the kids say, is Jeremy Gale Sr. I'm married, have been married for going on eight years. I have four beautiful children. Uh, my girls are 18 and 14. My boys are four and six. That's right. You heard correctly. Uh, my wife and I produce two pod. Well, we do two podcasts together, and then we produce about four more. And on the side, sort of a side thing with our company, our LLC, uh, what we do is help people set up their podcasts and, you know, we troubleshoot with them and just sort of a, try to make a, a nice content creator community in order to, you know, the whole concept of iron sharpens iron. Um, so we do that together. Um, we have other aspects of our company, but they're just kind of in pre-production at this point, so I won't go into that. Uh, you can find us at our website at Studio GWB. That's G as in girl, W as in Walter, B as in boy. StudioGWB.com. There you can find, you know, any information, uh, all of our socials, uh, our merchandise, everything. It's all kind of in one sloppy place. And we, we apologize for any issues ahead of time because this is very new for us. Uh, but you can find me across all social media at at uh, WTFJ. Oh, yeah, let me get this right. At WTFRAPJ. There it is. Yeah, you can tell I'm without my producer, man. I'm not as clean and, and smooth without her, you know. You're getting the raw Jay Zilla. And so that's a little bit about me. Perfect. Perfect. So let's dive right into why don't you tell us um, a little bit about your journey being a father and a husband and how did that all start? And one question I always like to ask on top of that is, did you see yourself as a husband and father way back when we were like, hmm, I think I can actually do this? Ooh, I like it. I'm going to answer your questions in reverse order. Um, I came from a single parent home. I have two younger sisters. Uh, we're all uh, roughly two years apart. So two younger sisters, single mom. And I just remember, can remember always saying, I want a giant family, right? I've always wanted to be married. I've always wanted to have a bunch of kids running around. Until I started having them, then it was like, you know, far is enough. <laughs> you know, you don't know till you get in that situation. But yeah, so I've, I've always wanted to be a, a family person. Um, 
And how I got started, mine was that of sort of Joan and the and the big fish story in the Bible, right? I was on my way. I was working out of Georgia. I was on my way to Australia to sign up for uh, a dual educational work program, which I would basically travel around Australia and the surrounding places of Japan and Europe and work for, you know, six months while going to school. And then I'd go to the next city. You know, I was single and, you know, I was very uh, vibrant and all my, my bones and joints were pretty healthy. And so I thought, oh, this is a cool, slick way to see the world and finish out my education as well as, you know, make a little money. Uh, so, but I had this <laughs> moment where one of my dearest friends, a person I met when I was 12, 13 years old, we dated a little bit in high school. Um, we stayed in contact throughout that entire time, you know, on and off, as friends do. But, uh, you know, I, I had a moment where I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm in love with this woman. And so made my plans to do a complete 180 from Australia to New Mexico, where she was with her two beautiful girls. And, you know, now they're my two beautiful girls as well. And that's where we started our journey. And it's been quite the education, very, very uh, fulfilling, but very uh, trying. And, you know, because kids can be relentless as much as they are joyous. And, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it, man. Good, bad and ugly. For me, I had a similar story, but it didn't. It wasn't as um, what's the word I'm looking for? Movie esque. It wasn't, you know, one of those Movie romantic, oh. <laughs> romantic <laughs> comedies, right? And yes, I grew up without my being raised by my mother and my father. I was raised by my grandmother, so single parent, just a different generation, like you. And in my teens, I was like, Terrain, I always you let's get a family, right? That's my mind. I'm like, try and get a family because you didn't have one growing up and you didn't know what it was like. And mm -hmm. I had plans to do so. And the girl that I was dating at that time, um, she was like the same thing, right? I was like, yeah, we're going to get married. We met each, each other's parents. And then everything went downhill. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no happy ending to this story. And it was interesting because how many people actually meet the parents of the girl or the guy that they're dating and it doesn't work out like that right like we'd even get to the point where we're walking down the aisle we have the the second guess but it was an interesting experience for me because it made me realize that i was looking for all the right things in all the wrong places mm -hmm. with that person yeah. right and i wanted it so bad that i was willing to sacrifice that and then i flash forward to where i am now where I'm more comfortable and more established and I can do the things that I want to do because if I want to be a father and maybe you went through this, Gisela, I want to be the best father that I can be. Yes. Right. I want to be super dad. I want to be dad of the, I want to be on time magazine with my picture on it. Hey, tonight. there you go. Dad father of the, of the year, year, right? We call it on our show. <laughs> yeah. Father of the year. Did you still, as you were getting your children and you're going down that path, did you have that same goal that, you want to be the best dad that you can be because of the situation you came up in and you want to try to correct or break the generational trauma. I'm of the mind, breaking of the generational promise is definitely part, uh, part of the formula there. But I was of the mind that, oh man, that's a really good question. You're making me like, I keep coming up to, you know, forks in the road of my thought process here. Hmm. I'm of the mind that the amount, the summation of a person, 
stems from the whole of their experiences and the experiences of people they trust, right? So for me, I heard a bunch of horror stories. I heard a bunch of great stories. Uh, one thing that always stuck with me is, you know, I've seen, and I'll say this from my say this about my Caucasian brothers, right? Is that I've seen situations where husband and wife, you know, have kids. It doesn't work out. They split amicably. And, you know, new person, step-parent moves in, and they all get along. They all go on vacations together, and they all share, like, hey, we're not going to be able to pick up, you know, child one through whatever. Uh, could you handle that for me? Sure. You know, me and my new wife will be right over. You know, so I, I always had the Walt Disney brand of hope that, you know, oh, if that situation can work out, I can figure out any other situation. But then I got around a crowd that just had, you know, in our community, a bunch of baby mama issues, and I saw the ugly side of things. And at that point, I said, I, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I've relegated myself to, I'm not getting married. That dream is dead. All right, so let's try to build myself up as a person, you know, because I am not going to get in that situation. Because what I recognize in my father, uh, which we have a great relationship now, but what I recognize is that, you know, he was this lovable huggable jolly you know you know black giant right <laughs> who who enjoyed art and poetry and music but he could he was you know i'm the runt in the family he's six seven or so you know an absolute giant of a man but he enjoys all these other eclectic you know things and so i was trying to figure out how did he go from that how did my mother go from strong educated you know like intellectual softball player right and then how they get together and then it turned out so badly. So I started operating based out of fear. There's no way I'm going to get married because I don't know what changed my father to who he eventually became. And so I'll just say, you know, I'm going to build my empire alone. And I told my now wife at the time that, yeah, I don't think I'll ever get married, you know. And she was like, well, what about me? You know, I was just like, no, I just don't view you like in that way. Ooh, that could be rough. And she's, it's funny, we talk about it now, because her reply to me was, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and so after I got married, like, one thing that stuck with me in that speech of hers was, you know, don't be afraid. Like, you know, she says, I've always loved you, and I get it if, if we're never going to get married. But don't give up on your dream of marriage. I've known you for a long time. You've always wanted to be married and have a bunch of babies. Don't give up on that dream. And don't get so bogged down with, I've got to be this perfect version of myself before I get with someone and ha start having kids. I think a proper relationship is you get together, love each other for who you are, and then you improve and build upon that uh, and, and build your empires together, which is what we're trying to do now. Some of my friends or some of my male friends are going through that. They're struggling with the fact that they may not be good enough for what they want in life and they have yet to realize it. And when it gets mentioned, like how your wife said, don't give up on your dream, you can do this. But on the flip side, when it gets mentioned to them, they want to fight. They're so <laughs> resistant to the idea. And I think, as you mentioned, that is within our community because growing up, I, I spent so much time around Pakistanis and Indians where mm -hmm. family <clears throat> traditionally so strong out in the east right like let's say chinese japanese things like that they don't have time for this nonsense <laughs> basically right. right it's like okay when we get together 
what we do represents the family to the point where it's like, hey, we need to make sure that the family is good. Now, when I look at things within ourselves, we have a little bit of a struggle because you mentioned a good point where you said that you've seen the ugly side, which is a lot of people in our community having a lot of kids with multiple fathers and they're unmarried. When I took myself out of that scenario, because I grew up in a poor area, when I moved to the suburbs and I started seeing everything family related, where mm. you had kids, bring, you had parents bringing their kids to football, to hockey, to softball, to baseball, where you had the family dinners, where mm -hmm. you'd go over and no one eats until everyone comes to the table, says mm -hmm. grace and do stuff like that. You're like, I can't get a little bit of a biscuit before someone <laughs> comes over. Right. But it's like a different vibe. Did you, when you got married to your wife, who you love so much and for so long, and you started raising mm -hmm. your children, did you reflect on the fact that you're like, hey, I have exactly what I want at this point in my life when many, many years ago, everything I saw was a complete opposite? Mm-hmm. Yes. So for us, like I said, man, having a family is very educational. And I think I would suggest anyone who begins a family, you have to, uh, we, one of our shows is urban academia. You know, we had a, a guy who's a, a felon and myself who, you know, I went to Vanderbilt university, which is a private college in the Southeastern conference. So we're the, we're the ones that get beat up by the Tennessees and Alabamas and Georgias. Right. But we're in the conference to kind of help the, you know, the, the averages in the classroom stay above board, okay? So, <laughs> so but what I uh, took from all of that is, you know, what I would suggest to people getting involved in a relationship and raising a family is kind of what we have as show rules on urban academia. And that is everybody's a little bit right. Everybody's a little bit wrong. Each of us has something of value to share. You know, that's just something, a foundation that just is for us. And that's worked out well, because if you hold true to that, you're not trying to interrupt someone when they're talking because you respect them and you don't want to be interrupted. It seems fairly easy in theory, but, you know, as we all know in science, my fellow scientists out there, the theoretical yield is never, never 100% what the actual yield is. But if you have the mindset that if I see my, my, you know, the person in a relationship and I see they get frustrated, I want to now take on some of that frustrations with them and see what are the possible solutions. Even if it's just let me be frustrated and angry and go away with the kids somewhere, you know, that's a solution. But you have to be willing to want to improve whatever, you know, negative situation arises and then improve upon all the positive situations. And I think as long as you have that format, I think that's also my theory as to why the Eastern world does so much better than we do here in the West. One of the blessings and the curses of American culture is this idea that <clears throat> you come here and you make up your own rules. Whereas in India, everyone has an agreed upon ideal of, you know, the gods and the rules and how we work and how family works. Right. And it's, not that the women are so much, you know, whipped into shape over there. It's, a, it's an agreed upon, cohesive, collaborative unit. 
where I know that I may not meet my husband until my wedding night, but I know that like, here's what a wife does. And the husband is taught, here's what to expect from your wife and here's how, what the wife expects from you. And it's such a shared, um, I don't know, hive mind sort of, sort of thing that you can have an arranged marriage and then they stay together for 60 years, you know, and they learn to know each other and, and love comes after the marriage. So it, I don't know. That's one of those things that um, I just think both parties have to be willing to say, we want this to work. We're willing to do the work and we're willing to be flexible as to how to go along, you know, creating a cohesive family unit. <laughs> so one question I always like to ask married couples is how has your view of marriage changed before you got married and now that you are married? All right. So in our religion as a Christian, we believe that we're one unit. So we always joke and say like, you know, hey, left side, hey, right side. You know, we have that sort of playful banter. Now, so I'm going to try to answer this, you know, with that duality in mind. I believe she would say that I came in supercharged and dogmatic because my first two children were our stepchildren, even though I consider them my babies. Uh, so I was instant father. Like I got a wedding ring and two kids all at the same, you know, swing of the swords there. Um, so I remember being on the phone and like hearing something in the background and like, what's going on? Oh, she took this from that person. Oh, when I get there, you know, <laughs> I know how to handle that. And she was just like, okay. And, uh, yeah. So it turns out that I would say the dogma that I had as a single man, a very ordered life, you know, any chaos I was seeking to snuff out instead of kind of riding along with some of the chaos, you know, because you can never truly get rid of 100% of chaos, right? There's always going to be room for order and vice versa. And so I would say for me, though, um, starting to understand more about what it means to be the husband and man in the relationship and being head of household. Like, so for me, it was very traditional, like what dad says goes with the ideal of how can dad's word makes sure his word rains down in fairness right firm but fair and not oppressive and i had to let that go rather quickly because my wife you know is a strong black woman from the south okay so she helped to re-educate me in that and now we've come to an agreement that you know yes you're what you say go you're a head of household but what that means is responsibility that means discipline. That means leading by example, knowing when you need to be the one talking, when you need to shut up, dad, and just listen and adjust. Like, so we have a, a whole system set up to where uh, if you don't like the rule in the house, you know, bring us a presentation. Tell me what the way, because what we do is we bring things to the table with our kids and say, hey, this is something that we want to get done. Like, say, we're going to keep the living, the common areas clean. How can we accomplish that? Here's how we want to do it because we know it's effective from our experience. And if they don't like it, they can submit an alternative. Not just say, I don't want to, but hey, I what about this way? And then we negotiate. We teach our children how to negotiate, you know, with respect and with not just, I don't want to, but with show me some, show me those receipts. You know, why do you think this will work? Hey, let's do a trial period for a month. Hey, let's talk about it. How did it go? You know, so that's kind of what's changed since I've, I've gotten married 
it's being more of a uh, running like a, a company that's working collaboratively versus, you know, man at the top wagging his finger and, you know, delegating everything. It's like gone are the days of the drill sergeant, right? We step through the door, do this, oh, yeah. do that. And, <laughs> and don't, and don't question anything. But mm-hmm. I like that idea a lot because it encourages input from children, right? And sometimes children may feel powerless within their own home because it's like, well, these are my parents' rules and I have to follow it. And I may not understand, but they're my parents. But you give them mm-hmm. responsibility and you give them empowerment saying that, hey, um, this is what we're looking at. Let's clean the common area this way. And someone may say, hey, dad, hey, mom, have you thought about doing this way? No, okay, that sound like a reasonable idea. Let's do like right. a seven day trial or 14 day trial. Is that accurate description? Yes, sir. You nailed it. You nailed it. And all of that is flexible. You know, what we don't allow our, our kids to do is, um, you know, I, I read the book by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, um, 12 Rules for Chaos, you know, and order. Um, and one of the rules was you don't let your children do anything that you don't like. And I, as you read that chapter, it's like, oh, because society as a whole probably is not going to like that. And you want society to like your child to give them the best opportunity for the best opportunities. You know, that's, that's the goal here, not equal, but, you know, um, equal in outcome, but the equal opportunity. Right. And what we believe from our experiences and experiences of people we trust is that manners go a long way, right? Soft tones go a long way listening skills and things of that nature go a long way. So that's the things we try to, you know, celebrate in our home. And anytime they have a little attitude or eye roll, it's like, hey, I want you to sit down here. That hurt my feelings and it made me feel frustrated, which has the potential to make me feel angry and take that anger out on you because I have a considerable amount of power as dad. You don't want to do that. Be smart. And so that's what we try to give our kids. And I love that you use the word empowerment, especially having two teenage daughters, you know, I want y'all to be okay with saying no and meaning it and sticking with it. Don't ever get yourself in a position where you say, well, I guess I'll let this thing, whatever that thing is, I'll I'll let this happen because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Be okay with risking offense. Yeah. Sorry. I went somewhere there. I don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that answer because I actually, that book you mentioned, I am a third way through it. I started reading it. And I love to read. And that is such a beautiful book because so far, because when other books come up within a book, I like I'll Google search and I say, okay, this is my next list. Right. And I have a a reading list and I've been following um, Jordan Peterson for a number of years and he's from Canada where I'm from too, Toronto, exact same city. And one thing that I liked about what he says and what many others say is they put the responsibility back onto the person. They're saying, Exactly right. They're saying that if you are going to expect this from someone else, you better be able to expect it from yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because other people will expect it from you. So, for example, if I expect um, you, Giselle, to behave a certain way, I should be able to expect that from me. Because you may turn around and say, "You know what, Terrain? You don't. You're, ex- you're asking this of me, but if I would ask it of you, you wouldn't do it." And I think when it comes to relationship and friendship, that's key because if you're going to ask your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, girlfriend of something, 
you better be ready that if they were to turn around and say, hey, how about you do it with me? You can't say no. <laughs> That's it, man. That is it. One of the things we do as well, and I have to quickly just kind of like, so you talk about being a Swiss Army father. Uh, <laughs> the utility and flexibility that it takes to be, I think, an effective uh, parent is being able to say, okay, man, when do I put self on the back burner and bring the child up? And then when do I switch that? I think there's a lot of guilt with parents of like, oh man, I'm, I'm being self-indulgent right here. You know, should not be a person like Hollywood says that I only think about my kids. It's like, no, they'll tell you on the uh, on an airplane, quick, fast, in a hurry to make sure to put your oxygen mask on first before you assist someone else. Because if you pass out, you're not going to be able to help anybody, you know? So self-care is hugely important in trying to find, constantly find that balance that's ever fluid um, is, a, is a real thing. But what I did was I came up with a bunch of rules for myself, you know, as I went along. And some of them have stuck. Like we have one that says, if, you, uh, if it's important to them, it's not important to me. Now, that's extremely trying because my kids don't have, they haven't developed taste quite yet, you know. Some of the stuff they watch, sir, is horrible, right? It's annoying, high-pitched voices and tones and bright colors and makes no sense. It's just super, super silly. But if it's important to them, it's important to me. So I'll, I make time to sit down and consume what they're consuming. And sometimes some things pop up. You know, we had this situation where my uh, son was listening, you know, watching a show with headphones. You know, he's six. That's odd to me. And so I came in, I was like, hey, buddy, what are you watching? He's like, oh, I'm watching them uh, make some like tiny meals or whatever, where they have the miniature cooking. And I, I'm looking at the screen and it looks, you know, on the up and up. And I was like, okay, hey, plug it out to, you know, take your headphones out. I want to, I want to watch with you. And even at six, he was just like, uh, like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right. And what I discovered is the audio was like a crime series describing some of the most horrific crimes in America the audio played over this cutesy little, just chop up little fruit here and fruit there and make a fruit pizza. It's like, holy cow. It's like, wow. So we paused it. We talked about it. So tell me what you know about crime in America. Tell me about, you know, the murder that they're describing. This is to a six-year-old now. And he's just like, huh, I don't know. I said, well, maybe we should work on some other stuff so you'll know how to properly process that. Do you care if I show you a couple of my videos? And then we do, and it's like Baby Einstein or the number blocks. And he's just like, yeah, I'm putting all this together. Okay, I know how to count. And I know certain sight words now. You know, so try to absorb all that and redirect. You know, that's that's huge. I think it's going to pay huge dividends versus me looking and going, all right, he's quieting out my way. Let me go to my room and watch what I want to watch by myself, you know. But, yeah, if it's important to them, it's important to me. We made time to share each other's, you know, values and, and likes and dislikes. You're gonna have to give me like a flashing red light, man, because <laughs> my show is more of a like back and forth. Why I disagree, that government, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I think I think I lot. agree with with too much of what you're saying. I think that's the real problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to doing a show with my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, but what do you think about this?" I'm like, "Huh," you know. So when it gets quiet, I'm able to talk at length without interruption. It, it makes me nervous. <laughs> oh no, the. Believe me when I tell you this, they're here for you. They like me, but they're, <laughs> they're here for you. Oh, you know, but on. one thing, one thing I, I want to share when you, when you said that is 
That is a good point because I know sometimes like when you're discussing like a topic, you want that like that back and forth where it's like, okay, let me interject because I don't agree or I may agree with what you're saying. But the way you paint the picture makes me take in the knowledge and I'm learning because it's an advantageous place for me because I don't have children and I'm, I don't have children and I'm not married. And I'm like, okay, what he's saying is how I apply, how I navigate my friendships. So Mm. basically he's saying that I can navigate my friendships very similar in a similar way to my intimate relationships. I can Mm -hmm. set the same expectations. I can say, Hey, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's have this type of conversation. And another thing that you, another point that you made that I really like is that you extended that not only to your wife, but to your children. You say, Hey, um, let's see if you can understand what's going on in regards to what you're seeing, because the imagery based on what you described definitely doesn't match what is being heard. Right. Right. And then you, you went from there. Is there a way where you're able to find your balance in regards to you as a man, you as a father, and you as a husband. Compartmentalization, my, my friend. Oh, my goodness. That's something that I'm still working on now. Like, for instance, I've built up a relationship with my wife. Now. So I was born in Dallas, Texas. She was born in, in Atlanta, Georgia. But we spent most of our lives in the small town of Columbia, Tennessee. And that's about 45 minutes south of Nashville. We met at her grandfather's church. We were brought up Baptist. I had my moment of atheism of like, I was asking questions, I guess too many questions. I was a little interviewer even then, apparently. And I was taught, do you don't question God? And I thought, I want to be a part of anything that you can't poke and prod and learn in an intimate way. So I feel like I was out until I went to a church where uh, a pastor like stopped his sermon because he saw the face of one of his deacons and they had like a little mini debate on the side. He just stopped everything. Now, I noticed that face from Deacon, blah, blah, blah. You know, tell me what's your issue. Well, Pastor, you said this, but when I read that, I think of it this way. How do I? And they went back and forth. So they arrived at a place where they could move forward. And then he went back and did his job. And I thought, like, wow, you can do that. You can have some sort of discourse and, you know, respectfully, and then come to some sort of, I don't know, if it's even ground, but, you know, middle ground to where now you guys can work on building something up from the same level, you know? Um, so, yeah, that, that's been really, really huge in my life. So my wife and I, it's, it's very important. Uh, one of the things she said was literally, uh, what are babies, if not just little tiny versions of ourselves, you know? And so if I have a time where I'm unhappy about something, like, of course, the world looks at me crazy if I were to start throwing stuff around and throwing a temper tantrum, even though it happens in adulthood, right? Uh, but at that point, like Peterson says, you know, you're just a, a, an old infant and nobody wants that. At least a baby has the cute factor and, you know, complete ignorance, right? But I, I find that, you know, that little invisible thread that runs through all of us of we want to be heard, we want to be respected, protected, and served, you know, to a certain degree. Um, and the way to do that is be willing to serve. You know, it's that golden rule. Like, how do you want to be treated? Treat others that way. So I've always enjoyed, you know, my teachers and my coaches, or even when I've coached football, uh, I did one year of high school and, you know, a bunch of years at the, um, at the youth level. 
I realized that, oh, just talking to these guys, you know, like they're human, yields some really good results. You know, even my negotiation style tactic with the girls stemmed from me being a coach. And, you know, I had a guy, you know, who was saying, like, I think we should really run this play, coach. I'm like, that makes no sense. Why do you want to run this play? And he was very passionate. I was like, all right, let's try it. And they scored on us quite easily. And I remember being ripped by the head coach of, like, why would you call that, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, he wants to try it. He said, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, coach, we won the game. I get what you're saying. But I made that mistake, and I'm taking that on fully, full 100% responsibility for that. I said, but now we've got this kid for the rest of his time here. He was a sophomore. So this kid is looking at plays and thinking about how a play turns out and strategizing, trying to strategize with me. I gave him one piece of trust that turned out badly, but he'll remember that for the rest of his career. And he did, you know? So those little things that we can do with other humans, no matter the age, I think respect is the utmost of importance. The example you gave in the church is something that I went through when I was going through the church where um, I was introduced to it at a young age, like many people, right? You go to your right. Sunday school with your corduroy pants and your itchy shirts. Or everything. else. <laughs> <laughs> or else. And one of the things I didn't like was that where there wasn't any discourse. It was you sit down, you shut up, and you just listen to what the, the priest or the pastor is saying. As I got older in my teens, that's mm-hmm. where I discovered that, hey, you can actually have these questions. And I remember there was, um, I think we called them, was it church elders back then? I think so, right? Church. Church elders. Like that. Yeah, church elders. And I would ask a question. And then he would like, okay, um, this is how he interprets it. He'll answer it. He's like, um, but do you have any other questions about this? I'm like, oh, I can ask more. Because usually it's I like when I'm done, right? <laughs> I can ask more. <laughs> and I started asking and asking. And then I remember they were saying that, hey, um, why don't you speak to so-and-so um, and you guys can pair up. So it was like one of the church elders gave me a mentor for the mm. religion, for the Bible. And it had such a positive impact on my life to the point where at my peak, I guess, in the church, I was leading Bible talks. I was giving mm-hmm. Bible readings and I love the conversation because growing up church was one of those things like your parents, you don't question it. Mm -hmm. But then when you're like, we mentioned earlier with your, you and your family, when you're empowered, it helps you to understand a lot better and say, Hey, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And I would have loved to see that conversation in your church Mm -hmm. where it stopped and two people had the conversation. Then this resumed because To me, that's exactly what church is about. And it's so harmonious when I see that. Um, Your show, Jayzilla, what are some of the things that you talk about since you have so many of them? And Mm. it seems like you touch on a number of topics. So give us, I guess, an overview of some of the conversations that happen there and how are you inspiring people with those shows? Oh, that's good. So the two shows that I'm actually on, Front Facing, One is what we talked about before, Urban Academia. I do that with a guy named Anthony Richard. We play ball together in middle school and then against each other in high school. Uh, You know, I went to a private college. He went to prison. And so (laughs) he got out and, you know, I saw how he was moving, you know, getting married, having kids, 
starting businesses and just being a really, you know, positive, you know, comeback story. Like it's something I always really looked up to. And this was probably uh, he watched my show and I'm sure you've experienced this in your career as well. And I was sitting there kind of struggling, like, man, are people getting what I'm trying to do here? And I kid you not, this magical moment of like, I got a private message from him and says, hey, man, I see what you're trying to do. You know, you keep doing it. I booked him immediately. And we talked and he was on the show twice. And my wife, whenever she really enjoys the conversation, I'm like, I need to hire this guy. I need him on the team. I need people to hear him talk. And, you know, because she just enjoyed our interview so much. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that sometimes she's just like, hmm, you know, <laughs> but when she gets excited and you can hear her muttering in the background over some of our audio in the earlier days of like, yeah, but what about this? That is important. When people want to engage for better or worse, you're really on to something, you know. Uh, so that's Urban Academia. What the frap is what I do with my wife. Uh, frap is kind of just the F word and crap blended together. Uh, when I was at Vanderbilt under Coach Bobby Johnson. Uh, this is 2004. Probably the most famous person on that team was Jay Cutler. And um, what what birthed out of that rule of no cursing was frat. And it was a way for us to express ourselves without, you know, having a run or, you know, after practice. Uh, so I was noticing that I was using the term so often that I decided to put it in the actual show title because I was constantly looking at news at that point and, this was, you know, right before Trump made his announcement. And I found myself, what the frap, all the time. <laughs> so even if you see in our um, our intro, we try to switch it up every now and then. But it's just a bunch of headline stories that make you go like, what the frap is going on in the world? Uh, the takeaway is my, me and anybody that I have on the show, we're trying to seek improvement in such a public way as to connect with people who are also seeking improvement. And so they don't have to feel like they're doing it alone. Like some of our first videos were horrible and it was literally like, okay guys, so looks like y'all can hear me, but you can't see me. And I would like just do a voiceover of all the troubleshooting and then, hey, that worked. Make sure y'all put that down. You do X, Y, Z, and that's how you maintain your video and all that. And, you know, our audience gets involved, uh, you know, pretty good there. And trying to, hey, have you tried this? And then, hey, I'm having this issue. I'm like, sure. But what that's done is made us kind of a little small family that we can discuss a myriad of topics, you know, politics, sexuality, parenting, um, relationships, everything. And that's what we do. You know, if I see you out there and you seem interesting, you know, I'm reaching out. You know, I want to hear more about whatever you were talking about in that little 30 second clip, you know. And that's kind of how I book right now, too, is just who interests me if, or what are they doing and how. And that's that's kind of uh, both of the shows in a nutshell. Perfect. And as we close, is there any advice that you'd want to give to the next generation who are up and coming and they're like, I listened to that guy, Jay Zilla, and he's inspired me to be the best dad that I can be. And they're looking for advice on how to make it, even though they may not have seen it themselves growing up. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. If my wife were here, she'd be giving me the be concise and short eye. So I'm thinking of a way to do this. That's a lot. I've learned a lot in my 37 years of age. Um, look at the people in your field that are doing the things you want to do. Study them. 
and see what you can accomplish right now and be okay with just saying, you know, they asked the billionaire, you know, how did you become so successful overnight? He says, overnight success, you say. He says, okay, well, I was passionate about a thing and I started learning about it and just doing it and being okay with failing. And, you know, 20 years later, boom, overnight success. So be okay with the long-term failure up. Uh, be okay with changing your definitions of things. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. I just simply found 10,000 ways that didn't work. You know, um, value kindness and respect, uh, discipline. You know, this old movie, Lean on Me, where he says, uh, discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. You know, be okay with doing something you hate like you love, says Mike Tyson's trainer, you know. Um, just be okay with, find, you know, just try to find your voice. Be okay with things that seem like a failure and never give up on your dreams. If it's a dream that's not going to hurt you or others, you know, go after it with everything you have and have fun doing it.